Some Christian traditions teach that we can reduce our time in purgatory if we do certain acts of personal sacrifice and contrition. The problem is, this is not biblical. The sacrifice of Jesus' life for our sins was sufficient to bring about reconciliation between God and humanity. We don't have to flog ourselves or walk on our knees or do anything to atone for our sin. We have a restored relationship with God because of Jesus' work on the cross, and it was sufficient. But there are spiritual sacrifices that we are taught to offer to God that are expressions of love for God and not our own efforts of payment for sin. The Apostle Peter tells us that through the mediation of Jesus Christ, we offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. The first spiritual sacrifice that we make is giving our lives to Christ. Well, good morning, everybody, again. Um, Life is, uh, is very hectic, and distractions abound. There is no end of things to do. And if this time of quarantine has taught us anything, it's really taught us just how busy we are and how busy we can be, and how distracted we can be. So this morning, what I want to do is we want to begin a brand new series called Sacrifices That Please God. We're talking about spiritual sacrifices today. Uh, before we jump right into that, um, just, uh, just recognize that this time of doing nothing has really forced us to slow down and to do some reflecting on life. Uh, what needs to change? What needs to improve? Where are we at spiritually? Really, we must recognize that, that this time is a gift from God, a time to think, a time to reflect. A time to think about where we're at spiritually. Now, I, I want to just ask a question and, uh, and then hopefully try to answer it. What really does matter to a Christian? What's important to us as Christians? Well, a Christian, by definition, is somebody who only wants to please God. Let me say that again. A Christian is somebody who only wants to please God. Now, we all know that there is a battle going on in the hearts of every one of us. We, we want to please ourselves. Uh, that has really been the, the human condition from day one. Uh, we, we want to please others. We want to make other people happy. And in some cases, uh, we, you know, maybe are a little twisted, and uh, I hate to say it, but some... Uh, some people want to please the world and even please Satan. Now, I want us to focus on ourselves this morning and, and, and to, to do sort of a, a self-test, a self-examination. Where am I at? 
Is my life being lived in such a way that I'm pleasing only God? Or am I sort of pleasing God and sort of pleasing myself and sort of pleasing people? Ask yourself that question. You say, Pastor Alan, maybe I, 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 I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. Well, let's look at Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were two people created by God, and uh, their great longing and desire was to please God and to please God alone. But that moment, then they took the fruit. The reason they took that fruit was to please themselves. And that was the beginning of the end. And that's when sin entered in, and that's when all of humanity began to experience the devastation that every single one of us is familiar with. Where people want to please themselves, there is destruction and sorrow and pain. And that's why we say that a Christian, by definition, is somebody who does not want to please himself or herself. A Christian is somebody who wants to please God alone. Last week, we talked about King Saul. What was King Saul's big problem? He wanted to please himself. He, he, was, he, he would say that he wanted to please God, but his actions proved otherwise. And so when you do this self-test, you need to look at how you live your life. Your actions will give you away. Your attitude gives you away. David, same thing. The reason David got in, King David got into trouble was because of his interest in pleasing himself and doing what he wanted to do. But that's not the only problem that we face. We not only want to please ourselves, but we want to please other people. We are people pleasers by nature. And the reason why we want to please people is because we want to be accepted, we want to be embraced, we want to be loved. I'm thinking of Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. In the early church, people were selling their property and bringing it, bringing the proceeds of the sale to the, to the apostles, laying it at their feet. Ananias and Sapphira wanting to please everybody. They sold their property uh, and they brought it to the, to the, to the apostles. But uh, sadly, uh, they also wanted to please themselves. So they actually kept back a bit and pretended that they were bringing it all to God. But you see, they were looking for the for the pleasure of people and looking for their own pleasure. They were trying to impress people by this great act of giving, but they're also trying to take care of their own interests. And for that, they, they died. So I want you just to think about that a little bit. We, we either pleasing God, or we're pleasing ourselves, or we're pleasing others. I want to share a verse with you that absolutely changed my life. And uh, some of you have, uh, have heard me share it before. And it's the Apostle Paul speaking to the Christians in Galatia. And he says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Before I, I address this verse, I just want to share with you uh, a survey done by a man by the name of Charles Stone. He surveyed 2,300 pastors, including men, women, young, old, uh, minimally educated and highly educated, from both large and small churches in North, Central, and South America. And here's what he discovered. Surprisingly, 79% of the leaders in one survey of 1,000 pastors 
and 91% in another survey of over 1,200 pastors admitted people-pleasing tendencies to some degree in their respective ministries. This is the great struggle, not just of pastors, but of, of, of all of us. And you'd think that pastors of all people would understand the importance of living the way the Apostle Paul called us to live, not pleasing people, but pleasing God, doing God's will. When I first discovered this verse, and this is a verse I think everybody should memorize and know off by heart. When I first discovered this verse, when, when God quickened it to my spirit, it absolutely revolutionized my life as a Christian and as a pastor. I discovered it in, when I was in my uh, early to mid-20s, and it revolutionized everything. Because now I had a filter through which I would make decisions. I had a filter by, uh, through which I would, uh, uh, I would preach, uh, through which I would do my ministry. My, my goal was not to please people, was not to, not to be charismatic, not to try to, to win the love of people, but rather to do the will of God every time. And I'm going to tell you that uh, it has been a great blessing and a great help to me, but it has also caused some people to not like me. Uh, people that wanted to manipulate me or try to get me to do what they thought I should do. At the end of the day, my responsibility as a preacher of the gospel and as a Christian is to make sure that whatever I say and whatever I do pleases God. This is, again, the definition of a Christian. A Christian is somebody who wants to please God. So, if I'm going to live this way, then the thing that you and I need to understand is that I don't live for myself. You don't live for yourself. If we're going to please God, we need to understand that our lives are lived for the glory of God. That's what it means to be a Christian. Everything we say and everything we do should point to Christ and should bring glory to Christ. The great Westminster Confession, it, be, it begins that the chief end of man is to enjoy God and to bring glory to his name. This is who we are. This is what we do. We glorify God. Now, I would say, uh, I, as I know what you're thinking, um, who doesn't want the favor of people? Who doesn't want to be fit in? Who doesn't want to be embraced? Uh, everybody wants to be loved by the crowd. Everybody uh, wants to be accepted. And furthermore, I think most people would say that, yeah, I, uh, I want to really look out for myself. I want to put myself first. I've heard a lot of people over the years say, Pastor John, I can't do ministry anymore because I've got to have some time for myself, for some personal care. Um, I've got to put myself first. And I'm going to just say that, yes, you do need to have times of, of retreat where you get alone with God. Even Jesus did that. But never, ever did he withdraw from serving people and from serving others and, most importantly, serving God. This is who we are as followers of Christ. We are people who make sacrifices. Now, I'm going to share with you, uh, and if you can get your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, we're looking at verses 4 to 9. And you'll see that Peter, in describing the Christian life, is really uh, using the Old Testament sacrifice system and the Old Testament worship system uh, as an example or a shadow of, of this new Christian life 
which is, which is brand new. This is what Peter is describing here. Um, we see uh, Peter calling us the temple of God. And of course, you know that the, that the temple of God was in Jerusalem. It was built by the hands of men. And Peter says there's a brand new temple. And this brand new temple is the church. It's the body of Christ. Uh, Peter calls Jesus the cornerstone of this temple. And for some of you, you may not know what that means. A cornerstone was the very first stone that was laid. And by that stone, the builders then would construct the whole building. It, it set the lines. It was, the, it was, the, it was from, the, from that cornerstone that all the walls were erected. So Jesus, Paul, uh, Peter says, is that cornerstone. Uh, he's the one by which we live our lives. We, we structure our lives according to Christ. We build our lives according to Christ. The church is built according to Christ, who is the cornerstone. And furthermore, Peter says, we are, we, every Christian, is a priest offering new sacrifices to God. So he uses the Old Testament uh, as a metaphor for the new Christian life, this brand new Christian life that, uh, that has been established in, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Well, let's, let's read the scripture here. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're starting at verse 4. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Let's take a look at that. Let's put that up. You are living stones. You and I, everybody who hears my voice that is a Christian, is a living stone that makes up the temple of God, the new temple of God. So you're a living stone that God is building into his spiritual temple, and what's more, you are his holy priests. And through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. So it's these spiritual sacrifices that, that we're going to be talking about over the next number of weeks. Let's read on. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust in him recognize the honor that God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And you'll notice, I haven't got time to get into this, but you'll notice that there are footnotes in your Bible that tell you that this is a fulfillment of prophecy. The stone the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Of course, that's speaking about Jesus. Jesus was rejected by his own people, but Jesus now is the cornerstone of this holy spiritual temple. That's you and me. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey 
God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So the thing that you see as you read through uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 is that we are called to please God. This is how we live our lives, for the glory of God. And what do we see Jesus doing in chapter four, or, uh, verse 4 of chapter 2 here? Jesus was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Hey, Jesus Christ is our example. We're not looking to please people. We're not looking for the favor of people. We're not looking for the favor of this world. We don't really care what the world thinks about Jesus Christ or his gospel or his word. Our, our, our commitment, our desire, our longing is to please God alone. We don't, we don't look for the favor of this world. We look only for God's favor. Now, to live like this is what Peter calls a life of spiritual sacrifices. Now, I have never spoken on this subject before. I may have touched on it at times. I'm very excited about this new series. And I think that right now is a perfect time to talk about spiritual sacrifices. It's time, you've got the time to reflect on it and to think about it. And I, I'm praying, I'm hoping that your heart will be touched the way mine has been. So the thing that we recognize then is that unlike the Old Testament, uh, in the New Testament era, there are no more sacrifices of animals. Animals are not necessary for sacrifice because in Hebrews 10.10, it says we were made holy through the sacrifice of Jesus once for all. So when Jesus came on the scene and when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he put an end to animal sacrifices because Jesus, the sacrifice of himself, was sufficient to what? To please God. Now again, as Christians, what are we doing? We're living lives that please God, that honors God. So what do we do now? We don't offer animal sacrifices, but we offer spiritual sacrifices. So, For the next number of weeks, we examine these spiritual sacrifices that please God. But I want you to notice something here, that, that these spiritual sacrifices that we offer to God is through Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not a believer today, if you're not, a, if you're not born again, if you're not converted, you can offer as many of these sacrifices as you want, but it's dead, it's meaningless. Your sacrifice, the sacrifices that we're going to talk about in a few moments and then over the next few weeks, these sacrifices have got to be offered in the name of Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ. If you are a born-again believer, then you understand and you recognize that whatever you do is in the name of Christ and that because you have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you, then your sacrifices are pleasing to God. If Jesus Christ is not dwelling in you, if you are not yet born again, if you're not converted, 
then you need to understand that, your spiritual, that these spiritual sacrifices cannot be made by you, and they're not acceptable to God. And even if you offered animals, that too would not be acceptable to God. The only thing the Bible says that is acceptable to God is Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross. We call this the gospel, the good news, that we have access to God once again. We have communion, fellowship with God one more time because of Jesus Christ. You say, what do you mean by one more time? Well, Adam and Eve, they walked with God at one time until that day that they fell, that day that they rejected God, that day they refused to please God. That was the end. And no more did they have fellowship with the Father. No more did they have communion with him. No more were they able to walk with him. But through Christ, we walk with God. We have access to his throne. And then we can offer these spiritual sacrifices to him that please God. And by the way, I'm going to tell you this. If you're a Christian, you'll understand this. When you're offering these spiritual sacrifices to God, it's the most satisfying, it's the most thrilling thing that you will ever experience in your life. In fact, it's the only thing that will truly bring joy to your heart. So we're gonna explore this and I hope that your heart will be refreshed and set on fire. Now, one of the things I just said uh, is that you have the spirit of Christ in you. And this is what Jesus said. He said, it's good that I go back to the Father because if I go away, then the Holy Spirit will come. And again, the Holy Spirit, you've heard me say this many times, in the Greek called the paraclete, the one who is alongside us. He's with us, he goes with us, he dwells within us, and he enables us to live this life that he's called us to live. This is why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And there again is that language of the temple. We are a spiritual temple. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, making it possible for us to offer spiritual sacrifices to God that pleases him. Now, what is a sacrifice? Because I know some of you are wondering, what exactly, Pastor Allen, is a sacrifice? Well, here's, here's a very, very brief answer, and you can research this more on your own. In Leviticus chapter 4, verse 35, and in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 10, we discover that God required animal sacrifices to pro provide a temporary covering of sins and to foreshadow the perfect and complete sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Uh, Hebrews points this out, that that which happens in the Old Testament is a shadow of what is going to come through Christ. And so the sacrifices, the blood sacrifices that we read about in the Old Testament is looking forward to the day when Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come and atone for our sins, to take upon himself our sin. And the thing that you need to understand, Hebrews 9.22 points this out, is that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So you're getting the point of what sacrifice is. Jesus Christ moves us away from an animal sacrifice now to, to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself, the shedding of his blood. We put our faith in him. And it means now that we live a whole new different way. 
It means now that we live in the power of Jesus Christ. And the thing that I want you to see, I want you to understand, is that there's always great personal cost involved in sacrifice. So keep that in mind, because we're going to come back to that in just a moment. Some people, uh, in some religious traditions, some Christian traditions, they don't understand what what a spiritual sacrifice is, the spiritual sacrifice that Peter speaks about in 1 Peter 2, 5. Some of you have heard me talk about Martin Luther. He's really the, the father of the Protestant movement. Protestant meaning to protest, the people who protest, Protestants, Protestants. Martin Luther, before he became a Protestant Christian, uh, he was Roman Catholic, he was a monk, uh, he, was, uh, he was a doctor of theology. He taught in Wittenberg. Uh, here's a man who was terrified of God. Here's a man who wanted to please God, but understood that he didn't have the power to please God in himself. He recognized that his every inclination was to do evil all the time. And he was trying desperately to atone for his own sin. And, uh, and, and what he would do is he would whip himself. He would he, he formed a, a, a whip, and he would find him, you'd find him oftentimes in the evening in the time of prayer, uh, praying and, and begging God to forgive him for his sin and beating himself, whipping his back and, and, and really mutilating his skin and the flesh on his back. He was a terrible mess. And it wasn't just Martin Luther that did that. There are many, many, many hundreds, probably thousands and thousands through, through history that got the wrong idea of what sacrifice is and got the wrong idea of what it meant to be, uh, to be sorry or repentant, for, uh, sorry for their sins or repentant. So here's what Martin Luther did. He kept whipping himself, and, and uh, he was terrified of God, terrified of dying and going to hell, until one day he discovered the God of, of Romans, the, one, uh, the, the God of Romans who takes away our sin through Jesus Christ. He discovered that Jesus is the one who justifies us, and Jesus is the one who then sanctifies us. What am I saying in these fancy theological terms? What I'm saying is, uh, let's, let's suffice it to say that, that Martin Luther discovered that Jesus Christ was sufficient to take care of all of his sin. Martin Luther discovered that it was faith in Christ and not his own his own sacrifices, his own beating of his own body and, his, and, and, and ripping his own flesh because of his sin. He discovered that Christ was sufficient to wash away his sin. And how does this happen? By putting your faith in Jesus Christ. So when I'm talking about, about spiritual sacrifices, I'm not talking about, about beating your body or whipping your body to atone for your sin. Jesus does that. You can't do that. So you say, well, then what on earth is a spiritual sacrifice if, if death and blood are not involved? Well, I'll tell you. The spiritual sacrifices that Peter's talking about is an expression, ready for this? It's an expression of your love for God, of your love for Christ. These spiritual sacrifices is an expression of your complete devotion to Jesus Christ. You are now pleasing God and God alone. You are not pleasing yourself. You're not pleasing this world. You're not pleasing Satan. You're not pleasing other people. You're pleasing God alone in the power of Jesus Christ 
and his spirit. Wow. Let me just show you another example of this. This here is the uh, Scala Sancta in Rome. In, uh, let me just quickly tell you what this is. Uh, they believe, uh, they say, um, I don't believe it, but they say that these were the, the steps that Jesus had to climb uh, when he stood before Pontius Pilate. And, and St. Helen in the fourth century brought these, these steps, transported them back to Rome. And, uh, and today they say that if you climb those steps on your knees and you pray and do a Hail Mary and whatever, that, uh, that you will have a reduction in the number of years that you will be punished in, uh, uh, in hell, or actually not in hell, but in purgatory. In 1817, Pius VII granted those who ascended the stairs in the prescribed manner a reduction of punishment, or called indulgences, of nine years for every step. So every one of those steps, if you climbed it and said the Hail Mary and the Our Fathers and the crossing and on your knees and so on and so forth, you would have nine years knocked off of your time in purgatory. Well, it's not biblical. There's nothing in Scripture that says anything about this. And this is not the spiritual sacrifices that Peter is speaking about. This is not New Testament spiritual sacrifices. That's not what Peter had in mind. The only one who can, who can take away your sin, you need to understand this, is Jesus Christ. You can't take away your own sin. You cannot reduce the punishment. No pope can give that to you. Only, only God through Jesus Christ can take away your punishment. And the good news is if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you accept him into your life, you don't need to do this. And furthermore, there's no purgatory. You're not going to find purgatory in the Bible. I, 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 I challenge you to find it there for me. It's not there. We have eternal life through Jesus Christ because of his one sacrifice once for all. Now, once you become a Christian, once you put your faith in Christ, the question is this, what, what are the spiritual sacrifices that please God? Well, again, I, I need to point this out to you. There are no more sacrifices for sin. Jesus is enough. Don't even think about doing anything to atone for your sin. You cannot do that. I know of people who have who've given, who've made big donations to the church. Uh, they, they've gone on... on on uh, humanitarian trips, and they've tried to give, be kind to the poor. They've tried to do all manner of good works, hoping that somehow, some way, they can atone for their sin and guarantee themselves a place in heaven. I don't care how, how much money you give away. I don't care how many good works you do. I don't care if you, you know, if you uh, crawl from, from, the, 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 from, from Winnipeg to, to Rome on your knees. You're, you're not going to get any sort of a special favor with God. The only, the only sacrifice that God recognizes is the sacrifice of his own son. If you're going to please God, the very first thing you need to do is you need to put your faith in Christ. That is the beginning of all spiritual sacrifice. You need to put your faith in Christ. You need to humbly admit that you are a sinner. That's the beginning. You cannot be a Christian if you cannot humbly confess, 
I am a sinner. I deserve eternal death. You say, Pastor Alan, I, I wouldn't say I was that bad. Yeah, you are. And, and it's not me that's saying it. It's the word of God that tells you that. The Bible says that we are born enemies of God. Did you know that? That our, that our every inclination of the human heart is, is evil. In fact, our heart is so evil that you don't even know how evil it is. You can't discern that. You haven't got that ability. And so you need to understand that you are a sinner. And it's because you are a sinner that God sent us a Savior. You need a Savior, and I need a Savior. Because I'm not good enough, and neither are you. So you need to humbly admit that. And then you need to confess your sin. And even as I'm speaking to you, you are very much aware of the sin that lurks in your own heart, that sin that needs to be, to be cleansed and washed away. And how do we do that? Well, the Bible tells us clearly that if we confess our sin, that he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And this is the spiritual sacrifice that pleases God. This is the beginning. You come before God, you confess your sin, and then you repent. And repent is just a, a fancy way of saying you turn from your old life now to follow Christ and to please him and him alone. Wow. This is what it means to be a Christian, and this is the start of it all. And maybe today is a day the lights have just gone on for you, and you recognize, hey, I'm not converted yet. I, I have not confessed that I'm a sinner. I have, not, I have a hard time admitting that. You need, to, you need to admit it to God, but you need to admit it to others as well. You need to be the first one to do that. And I'll tell you this, that when you, when you admit that you are a sinner and that you need the Savior, you are bringing glory to the Lamb of God that was slain. Important to understand that. And if you don't get that, then uh, I'm not sure whether you really understand what it means to be converted. Now, I'm not saying that to make you feel bad or to judge you, but I want you, want you to know the truth, and I want you to understand where you need to be. So, getting back to spiritual sacrifices again, I want you to remember two things. First of all, that a Christian is, by definition, someone who wants to only please God. That is what a Christian is. You only want to please God. You don't want to please the pastor, your family, uh, the world, your boss, or anybody else. You only want to please God. Now, I'm not saying that you live in rebellion or that you be nasty to people. That's not what I'm saying at all because, because our God tells us to, to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love others as we love ourselves. That's the life of a Christian. So if you, were, you and I are going to truly uh, uh, live this Christian life, then we have to understand that we please God and him alone. And then the second thing you need to under, uh, remember, and I've already said it, is that you need to understand that there is a cost involved. We call this a spiritual sacrifice. Now, if we're going to please God, we must only offer sacrifices that please him. Jesus gives us a clue 
of what these spiritual sacrifices are. And today we're going to just introduce to you the, the sacrifices that Jesus Christ tells us about. And it's Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Now, you'll see here that Cross Church, anyway, we do not preach a cheap grace. We do not cheap, uh, uh, preach a, uh, an easy Christianity. There is a cost involved. There is a sacrifice involved. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then it means that you are literally laying down your life. You are giving your life to God. You're saying, God, uh, salvation may be free, but the life that you called me to live is costly. I give you my life, O oh God, for your glory and for your honor. I will do what you want me to do, and I will please you alone. I will not seek to please people. I will seek to please you alone. Jesus, in speaking about this way of living, this, this discipleship, in Luke chapter 14, he says, you have to count the cost. You've got to think this through. Do you really want this? Are you prepared? Are you willing to live this life that I'm calling you to live? It's a life of sacrifice. It's a brand new way of living. So I don't have a lot of time left to, you, but, uh, left to me right now, but I, I just want to quickly look at this. Jesus says you have to give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Can you remember those three things? Give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Let's take a look at that first one. Give up your own way. What's Jesus saying? He's saying you can't live according to your old habits and your own behaviors. And by the way, that's why at Cross Church, when we teach discipleship or how to follow Christ, we teach you to follow in the footsteps of Christ, to imitate him, to follow his habits and his behaviors. Now, I haven't got time to get into those right now, but you can go to our website and check it out. But look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as what? There it is. A living sacrifice. That's holy. What does holy mean? To be set apart for God. It's set apart for God alone. To please God alone. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern or the behaviors. You could translate it that way. Do not conform to the habits of this world. Did you see that? You're not going your own way anymore. You're not doing what you want to do anymore. And if you are... Uh, this is a wake-up call. Remember what we said at the beginning. We said that we need to do an assessment, a test, an examination of our life. Are we living according to the, to our, to the old patterns, the patterns of this world, the behaviors of this world, or are we different? If you're going to be a Christian, the very first thing that you need to understand is that, this, that you need to make a sacrifice. You need to say, I'm, 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 I'm doing away with the patterns of this world. I'm not following the world. I'm not doing what the world does. I'm not imitating the world. I'm not watching what the world watches on TV. I'm not doing what everybody else thinks is okay. 
I'm going to start going the way of Christ and not my own way. And then the second thing you remember was you have to take up your cross. Now, the idea, uh, and, and some of us have a hard time understanding what that means, but it's, a, it's a really a call to dine to yourself, to do whatever it takes in order to follow Jesus. So let me help you understand what that means. If, if, you, uh, if you wonder if you're ready to take up your cross, if you are trying to count the cost and think about what it means to follow Jesus, here are some questions for you to consider. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of your closest friends? Think about that. Are you willing to lose some of your closest friends if that's the cost of following Jesus? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from family members? I had a family member that when I became a Christian was uh, kind of disgusted about that. In fact, the suggestion was that uh, when it came time for me to go to Bible school, why are you going to Bible school? What a waste of your life. You should become a shoe salesman at Eaton's or at Simpson Sears, as it was called then. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means the loss of your reputation? Maybe you were the Maybe the, the, the popular kid in school. Maybe the popular one now, I don't know. Maybe you're the one that everybody admires and respects. And it's because you're, you're looking to please them. You're looking, to, looking for the favor of people. But when you become a Christian, you're, you're saying, hey, I'm going to take out my cross, and if it means that I lose my reputation as being the cool kid, the popular person, the richest, the best, and the famous, I'm willing to lose it all. Are you willing to lose your job? I know people have lost, lost their job because of their newfound faith in Christ. They couldn't, they couldn't carry on doing their job in the corrupt way their boss expected them to, and they lost their job. Are you willing to lose your freedom? In 2020, when, I, when you see what's going on right now in the and the hostility towards the church, and particularly towards Christ and his people, it, it's very, very conceivable that we could, in fact, lose our freedom. Are you willing to lose that for the sake of Christ? I know some, some churches are, are changing their belief system. They're ad adapting their theology. They are, are catching up with with modern society. But if you're taking up your cross, you're, 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 you're willing to say, I'm going to do whatever it takes, even if it means that I, I lose my job, I lose my reputation, I even lose my earthly possessions. That's what it means to take up your cross. Now do you see why it's called sacrifice? It's a spiritual sacrifice that pleases God. And then Jesus says, Give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. What's Jesus calling us to do? He's calling us to literally imitate him. In 1 Peter 2.21, we're called to follow in his steps. And Paul tells the people in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is what it means to follow Christ. You are imitating him. You are literally being like Jesus wherever you go. 
And the thing that we see about Jesus, he had only one thing in mind, and that was to please his heavenly Father, to do the will of the Father. Read the Gospel of John. It's full of examples of Jesus imitating the Father, being like the Father, doing what the Father would do, and, and, and fulfilling the Father's will. That's what we're called to do. And this is the spiritual sacrifice that pleases God. We imitate Christ. Following Christ means we imitate him, and then it means that we obey him. John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. I wanted to say this in closing. I talked to you about Richard Wormbrand uh, uh, two weeks ago. Richard Wormbrand was that pastor, that Lutheran pastor in, uh, in Romania. The communists had come to power, and, the, and uh, some of the, uh, the, the party, party members were bad-mouthing the church, bringing shame on the name of Jesus Christ. And this was before uh, a gathering of ministers. The party, the party members were trying to convince the church to, to get in line with their agenda. Trying to convince the church. And by church, I mean, I mean all the pastors of all the denominations gathered before them. They're trying to convince these pastors that communism was good for Romania. Even though communism was clearly an enemy of the church, Richard Wormbrand later revealed how, in fact, Marxist, Marx was a, was a Satanist. Nobody said anything. Nobody arose to challenge these communist ideologues. And Sabina, Richard's wife, sitting beside him in that gathering, whispered to her husband, you cannot let this shame go on any longer. You must not allow the name of Christ to be dragged through the mud. You must not allow the church to receive such humiliation, such scorn, such derision, and such lies. You must stand up for Jesus. And he leaned back to his wife and said, do you realize that if I say anything, if I stand up and challenge the Communist Party, you know that you've lost me and you probably lost me forever. It means I lose my freedom. It means I lose my job. It means I lose my wife and my son. I lose my church. I lose my position. I lose my reputation. I lose my livelihood. I lose everything. And Sabina whispered back, do it in the name of Jesus. Richard rose to his feet. And before all those pastors who were stunned and silent and afraid and not knowing what to do in the face of the communist force, he stood up to proclaim the greatness of our God, the wonder and the majesty and the glory of Christ and his church. In just, in just minutes, Richard Wormbrand wiped from the face of Christ the shame that the communists threw at Christ and his church. And the pastors rejoiced 
because Jesus Christ was glorified. Now you would wish that that were the end of the story, but it wasn't. It was just a day or two later that Richard Wormbrand was picked up by the communist secret police. His wife had no idea where he was, but he was gone for 14 years. Unable to visit with his wife, unable to, to find out how his son was. But that was the price. And that, my friends, is a spiritual sacrifice that's pleasing to God. It's not that Richard Wormbrand was atoning for his sin. No. The spiritual sacrifices that are pleasing to God are sacrifices that are an expression of our great love for God and for his Savior, Jesus Christ. May your heart be gripped as you think about what it means to follow after Jesus. And may you live out these spiritual sacrifices that please God, because that is what it means to be a Christian. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you saved us. We don't deserve it. We're sinners, every one of us so, so in need of your grace and your mercy. And God, in light of your mercy, in light of what you have done for us, God, we pray that you'd give us the grace to live holy and pleasing lives to you, Lord. That our, our, our lives, our bodies, our minds would be presented to you as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And so we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name, thanking you, God, that you've shown us through your word what it means to be a real Christian, a Christian who pleases you with these spiritual sacrifices. We pray that for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. God bless you.